Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is August 7th and we have a very special guest. We have a Mr. Austin Campbell who is the managing partner at Zero Knowledge Consulting and also an adjunct professor at Columbia's Business School and previously was head of portfolio management at Paxos and we invited him on the show today to come and talk about the just announced huge news that PayPal is entering the stablecoin market with PYUSD. Uh, so Austin, is this is this actually making an impact? And like, will this move the needle on uh, stablecoins inside the United States? So I do uh, think that it will. If you think about what's gone on with stablecoins in the U.S., one of the things that's been interesting about them is really the only way to reliably get your hands on stablecoins here is to go through Coinbase or Gemini, right? In terms of mint burn, <clears throat> you have a lot of ways to buy them in DeFi a lot of ways to buy them when you're on chain. But one of the most underdeveloped parts of the crypto ecosystem has been the actual on and off ramps. It's hard to do better than PayPal from that perspective. I actually think the biggest innovation here is just adding a native stablecoin to the PayPal platform, period. Hmm. Yeah, it does kind of make sense for PayPal. They're already sitting on all these deposits, right? And uh, it just, you know, adding a ERC-20 token that can come off, it, it probably... I mean, it seems natural for their business, but at the same time, there's probably a bunch of regulatory hurdles that they had to uh, look at before they made this big step. Yeah. So yes to both. To think about the first part, blockchains are kind of an existential threat to the business model of a lot of financial walled gardens. In the long run, when you lived in a world where you used to control your turf, nobody else could get in, there was a combination of, call it regulatory moat plus the structure of your platform only being open to people you let on, it's easy to preserve your position. On the other hand, in a world that's open source, composable, anybody can build, anybody can enter, all of these products start sort of degrading slowly. And it's not all at once. It's more like sand going away one grain at a time. But this was a long-term threat. The companies that will do best dealing with that are the ones that kind of embrace that and move forward with that in mind. And that's what PayPal is doing here. They are essentially, by having PYUSD, open sourcing the ability to use the PayPal platform in some ways, which I actually think is a very good long-term move. You'd rather disrupt yourself than have somebody else disrupt you. On the I was going to say on the regulatory front, yeah, the answer there, having been involved with this for a bit, it probably was about two and a half years of work. Oh, wow. That's a long time. <laughs> it's uh, market things. Yeah. So they've probably been working on this for a long, long time then. Uh, I would I would be interested in uh, knowing like what their kind of uh, go to market plan is like how they see this distributing across the uh, crypto landscape and and how it will be used in in different apps right Yeah I think the plan as I understand it caveat I haven't touched this for almost a year now is that they do want it to work like a stablecoin so one people should be aware this is using the NYDFS model of stable coins, which means fully reserved, segregated, they will be transparent, you'll know what's in there. But, and let's be clear for the crypto crowd here, this will have freeze and seize capabilities. You will have to do KYC with PayPal or Paxos in theory to mint and burn this thing. So although it can trade on chain, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like Bitcoin where it trades unrestricted on chain or like ETH. They can and will interdict bad actors using this. So while there's going to be composability and some ability to use it without having to 
KYC, if you want to engage with the traditional financial system, you will have to do that. If you're doing really sketchy stuff, you will probably get interdicted at some point. So what does this say about the future regulatory landscape when one of the largest public payments companies in the entire world is adding a, a payment stable coin? And is this signaling to the rest of the market that this the time to, to issue a stable coin is now? I don't know if it says to everybody that it's now. I would tell you, I think PayPal is probably better situated than a lot of people. They've got great on off ramps. They are global, as you said. They understand the tech and the product, right? Like they've done a lot of work here. Let's not underestimate that for a call it traditional financial company. But I think it is telling regulators in particular, these things are coming and you need to have a plan to deal with them globally, right? And it's telling end users that as more and more of these show up, we're going to have to figure out which ones do we prefer and why, because with every stablecoin design, there's trade-offs inside of it. Mm, interesting. And what would you say the difference between the reaction of how PayPal's launch has gone versus the reaction that we had two years ago to uh, Facebook's DM? Yeah, I mean, I so I would tell you there was significant regulatory skepticism for a while about PayPal. I think there are two things that are different. One, PayPal was always a payments company, so you can't say that this wasn't an extension of what they do, right? This is their bread and butter. They do payments. That is their job. Two, I think PayPal, by keeping it US dollar and within a regulatory framework that already existed with a partner who's been doing stable coins since 2018, have eliminated a lot of the other questions that would exist, like how does this really work? What's it gonna do to monetary policy? What's it gonna do to the system? Well, these are you know, at least semi-answered questions in this case. I think Diem with the original basket currency design was a lot more, call it difficult for regulators to get their head around. Yeah, it's interesting that Diem kind of like went that route and said like, oh, hey, we're gonna do a basket of like international international currencies like the euro and the Japanese yen and the dollar. And that, I think that scared a lot of mon monetary economists. Uh, but here we have a just a, an extension of, of Paxos into PayPal. Uh, do, you, do you think that this is the model that like is going to proliferate where you'll have like a core issuer like Paxos or Circle essentially allowing a almost like rebrand of their uh, of their assets into like PayPal US dollar or like we have Binance US dollar from Paxos as well too. In the long run, I would say no. And the reason for that is just liquidity fragmentation, right? All of these are more valuable when you can trade them seamlessly anywhere easily. Liquidity makes assets more valuable. So if we live in a world where every major corporation has their own stable coin, we're kind of back to private money, right? Like interoperability between these things needs to be solved. So I think in the long run, the answer is no. However, in the short to medium term, dealing with reality, you need people who know how to do this without breaking it, who regulators trust. So you do see some sort of, you know, call it aggregation effects around some of the current issuers, which obviously they like and want to preserve. So my answer is, yeah, for a while, but I think eventually it will break down. So I'm kind of curious to know, um, like PayPal previously had done some like tiptoeing into crypto. You could buy Bitcoin and like I think Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin or some uh, like boomer coins on uh, PayPal. But you, if I'm not mistaken, it was really difficult to bridge it from PayPal onto chain. Is the going to be similar where you can like keep your PayPal dollars 
in your account, but it's like not going to be transparent to get it on chain? No, this should be able, or at least I know the intent was for that to be able to get it out and get it on chain. Um, the limitations around the PayPal offering in the past were a combination of how do we think about all of the regulatory issues around that and the Paxos custodial platform, which was upgraded. You can take things off of your PayPal account now, as I best recall. So I think, you know, again, this is the long march of disruptive technologies through traditional like financial institutions is what we're seeing here. Do you think that the the draw of these stable coins issuance by by these major companies is really being affected by seeing uh, offshore companies like Tether announcing massive, massive revenue from uh, having what, 70, $80 billion worth of, of stable coin on their books, pulling in billions of dollars per quarter, uh, is is this what's really driving is like the, this higher rate environment that we're in uh, these companies essentially say oh hey we can we can issue this like zero coupon debt uh, that doesn't pay any interest and we can use it to bolster our net income because if you look at pretty much every single company even like Robinhood Robinhood the majority of their income right now comes from uh, deposits same thing for Coinbase as well too like this net interest is really super powerful in this cycle so short term yes right like the simple answer there is yes that's a lot of money people want to share of it however what you find in these spaces is if interest rates remain elevated and new players want to enter well they've got to do something to get people's attention other than just issue stablecoin number 18. Mm -hmm. right that's not appealing to anybody at that point and not everybody's got first class rails so what starts happening in those spaces is the edge starts competing away in terms of what you earn on the reserve is right now PayPal issues this, it's not interest paying. Well, at some point, either a European or an Asian fintech, because that's easier than the regulatory environment in the United States, is going to be like, yeah, we'll do one and we'll pay you 2%. And then somebody will be like, well, we'll pay you four. And so what you're going to see is these things ratchet up. It's similar to the model in traditional asset management, right? Where over time, fees are competed down and competed down and competed down in new products. So right now, stable coins are still in the very early stage of it's just a handful of sort of, you know, initial companies launching these things. But I would expect if rates remain high, if you want to gather deposits in these, you need to offer interest. I mean, look at what Maker is doing right now to try to attract deposits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to mention that they could easily compose it with uh, 8% uh, die savings rate. So really interesting stuff here. Um, how much do we think Teal is behind this? Because I think Teal still has like some degree of control over PayPal. We know Teal has invested uh, heavily into Reserve Protocol, uh, which is also like uh, provides infrastructure to provide stable coins on chain. Yeah, I mean, so I would tell you my experience is there's a group of very forward thinking, very intelligent people in the PayPal crypto group specifically, right? Like Jose, Paul, David, all of whom I've had the privilege of working with, who are many of the intellectual drivers behind this. I know Dan Shulman was a proponent of this initiative. I do not think this is like one specific person driving it. I think this is PayPal trying to be front footed from a lot of different angles, thinking about what does this business look like 10, 20 years in the future, not just today. And to be totally honest with you, a lot of them do have some skepticism about sort of the ongoing, call it oligopoly in US finance as the large banks continue to get larger. And so creating a more open system, I think was valuable. 
So we posted a poll this this morning in uh, our Telegram chat, just essentially asking like, PayPal will bribe PYUSD on Curve, right? <laughs> and uh, Alunara, who's uh, part of the Llama team, came and said, US Tradify can't really incentivize anything without getting into legal hell anyway. Uh, Michael, the founder of Curve, said they can ask their investors to bribe. And uh, then Chago says, PayPal is already using SD Curve and CVX via reserve via Peter Thiel. And then Michael says, huh, so you're saying that I also OTC'd some, some uh, CRV to PayPal indirectly? <laughs> so, Yeah, I mean, so one, what do we mean by PayPal? Like, Peter Thiel is not PayPal. Like, he is a significant owner, but, like, he doesn't run the company day to day. So, like, let, let's, this is one of those, let's not blend together all the forms of corporate governance, right? Like, I used to work at J.P. Morgan. I still own some J.P. Morgan stock. I am not J.P. Morgan. Right. Let's right. be very clear about that. Even Jamie is not right. It's a very big company. So, well, I think my, the, I, I think the, the answer, thing that I was getting here, Austin, well, is that, I was like, say my answer to the curve thing is it's more complicated than you might think in both mm -hmm. directions. So I would keep an eye on that because keep in mind, here's where I was going. PayPal is quite global. You're right. Maybe they can't do this out of the United States, but you know where else they operate? Europe. You know where else they operate? Asia. Okay, it's not a requirement that they're necessarily going to do this out of a U.S. entity either. Yeah, we've seen What's a uh, yeah, just one uh, one one last point, and you can go advisor. Uh, we've seen a recent entrant into the stablecoin game, which uh, Zunami Dollar, which is a Japanese issued stablecoin, using their net interest income to pay for Vodium bribes on uh, well through Vodium to incentivize curve liquidity. So you're right; that might be the answer. Is that as they move offshore into different jurisdictions, they can then use that net interest income that's that's earned there to then pass it back on through Curve. Uh, um, Austin, how big is uh, such a move by PayPal in your mind uh, to really affect like uh, stablecoin adoption uh, worldwide and to really become a catalyst uh, regarding uh, stablecoin uh, regulation worldwide? Because just like you say, you know, PayPal is much uh, a much bigger deal than uh, US, and they don't have to uh, like abide by only uh, US laws. Because uh, I think it's a bigger we lost him. Oh, we lost him. All right. Well, I'm going to answer the first part of the question <laughs> and say, I think the biggest part of this and the most important part to go back to the start is the on-ramps and off-ramps. Again, if I'm in any jurisdiction and I want to have a seamless, relatively easy way to mint a stable coin, regardless of my starting position, right? Like, am I in yen? Am I in euro? Am I in Bitcoin? And I want to get myself into a stable coin that is a dollar-denominated stable coin, PayPal has those rails. The ability to also use this as a tool to basically fund your PayPal account now, right? Or potentially yeah, take it out of your PayPal uh, account and fund that. something else is going to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, one of the problems we have in crypto is things get built and we immediately start looking because this is the stuff we're all obsessed with, it's like the crypto side of the pie. But I would urge people here, look at the real world side of the pie first. I think that is the bigger story is... You know, how many customers does PayPal have? Well, all of them theoretically were just onboarded in the stablecoin world. That's a good point. That's actually a really good point because, you know, the only way that people could access USDC or Tether before was going through either like Binance or or uh, like Coinbase or something. Um, and that's actually, 
Yeah, uh, actually, I have uh, a question regarding the uh, PYUSD. I, I wonder if PayPal will be uh, one of the main uh, venues for on-ramp and off-ramp services. As, uh, as you know, like uh, the size of PayPal and the coverage of uh, its clients around the globe, etc. So it's kind of like uh, doing the KYC and then have the on-ramp, off-ramp. I'm not sure if... Uh, that's part of the plan. Maybe Austin, you can share your thought of that. Yeah, I mean, if you think about how PayPal makes money, they make money by getting money into their ecosystem, having customers and merchants use it to pay each other, and then sending money back out of the ecosystem and hopefully earning something at interest while they've held on to it. I would tell you explicitly their business model, period, full stop, is increasing the volume of those things they do. I think they just see this as a way to get hundreds of millions of people also to have the option to use stable coins in this space. If you think about, again, the future structure and you think walled gardens are being eroded, well, in a non-walled garden space, you want to be part of the infrastructural components as people are moving things around on chain, and that's how you do this. So yes, I do think this being fully integrated and part of their on-ramps and off-ramps is part of the plan. And to be totally honest, I think that's good for the world. We'd probably benefit from a well-run, well-regulated stablecoin that's easy to mint and burn for everybody. So on our last interview on Flywheel, we had uh, your colleague Omid Malikan on, and uh, he was talking about Tether and this, talking about their liabilities. And he said, you know, the one thing that I can say about Tether is that like, I know every single dollar of what their liabilities is. It's all on chain. I can see every single penny of it at every single time. And while their uh, asset side may be a little bit uh, non-transparent, uh, all their liabilities fully on chain. And he said, you can't see the sa- you cannot say the same about PayPal, but maybe that's not the case anymore. Uh, yeah, it- jo- jokes on Omid. Um, <laughs> well, so here's the thing. You won't be able to say the same thing about PayPal proper, like call it the legacy business that mm-hmm. is still bound by the constraints that he talked about. But the people at PayPal, I can tell you, are also aware of this exact argument. And that is part of what is motivating this, because if you think of the model that they're going to be using, one, you will have the same liability visibility as Tether for this. Only two, you're going to have way better asset visibility. Keep in mind, the NYDFS standard is every 30 days you're publishing an attestation of the assets that you hold. And keep in mind, Paxos, while I was there, um, we moved to a standard of disclosing everything down to the penny. So if you want to know what is in, for instance, USDP currently, go to the Paxos website and monthly, it's usually about five business days after the end of the month, they'll tell you down to the penny what is in the reserve, all of the T-bills, all of the repo trades, all of the cash deposits, whether that cash is insured or not, and if so, how. Like, you can see it all. There is no question about what you own. And now PayPal is going to have both sides of that for their stablecoin. It's basically going to be best in class for monetary transparency. Do you think USDC is the sort of natural competitor here um, in that USDC has been seeing their market share eroding a lot lately? I do think they're, well, they're one of the natural competitors. Let me not make too big of a statement there or too small of one. Other competitors is basically the entire payment system globally, right? Because this is also competing with many of the situations that you're going to find where like, do I send money through the traditional banking system? Or now if I can use PayPal, do I just send it on chain? Because if I have a PayPal account, you on the receiving end have a PayPal account, maybe this works much better than it used to. The other part is if other people can accept 
this stablecoin, PayPal develops this network effect of maybe they're the origination point for the stablecoin, but it could come out into somebody else's app in, oh, I don't know, Brazil, Argentina, the Caribbean, Africa, Southeast Asia, right? Like you don't know where it can go as long as they can connect the rails behind the scenes. And that's part of the benefit of putting these things on blockchains is they become way more composable than walled gardens. Hmm. How does this also affect uh, Austin uh, other actors within uh, the space, within TradFi space, I mean, in a way, like maybe, I don't know, Visa, MasterCard, uh, all kinds of players like on that angle that are probably going to watch uh, PayPal now doing a move that it was like, you know, it was like a big uh, fight of who's going to strike first. And uh, it really kind of seems like, uh, okay, PayPal is striking first and uh, it's doing it very like uh, after a well-planned effort, like you said, you say this is uh, two and a half years in the making. Yeah, I think this will have a couple of effects. One, it's going to start an arms race with all the payments companies. Like it would not shock me to see both Visa and MasterCard and Amex all responding to this. They, they almost have to if this starts to get any traction. Right, exactly as you said, by somebody moving first, they have a little bit of an advantage experimenting. So now you're in the position of, if you go very slowly, you probably have a problem. However, with that said, often the best position to be in, in call it rapidly evolving markets is the fast follower. So let's see whether that is PayPal following on from the initial stablecoin issuers, or that is whoever follows PayPal. The other thing I think this is gonna do is give a lot of the banks a huge amount of leverage to go lean on the US regulators. So far, the OCC, the FDIC, and to a lesser extent, the Federal Reserve. I probably shouldn't accuse the Fed of having a uniform opinion because they have a lot of different ideas internally, have been pretty skeptical of stablecoins and blockchain. Well, if this starts taking off and people start using it, businesses leaving the traditional banking system, now they have a real argument with their regulators of, you need to let us do this, or if not, we have a big problem. I look forward to uh, Costco launching their stable coin that could be burnt for a hot dog and a soda. <laughs> I mean, this is back to why I said, no, I don't think everybody will launch a stable coin in the long run, right? Like you get to the point where it's like, okay, how small of a company do we need to have to launch a stable coin and what are we doing here? They all just become rewards programs if you do it that way. Do you think it's, uh, I don't want to say distressing, but you, you brought up the issue of the banks. The regulators are probably looking on this at all of the stablecoin issuance has been done through, you know, private entities, right? Private payment companies or these, uh, you know, bankruptcy remote trusts uh, that are issuing them. And the lack of these regulated bank institutions to be able to take part in this, uh, they must be going crazy, right? Because they're saying, they, they're probably saying, oh, these are like reserve deposits you know, like the, these are just deposits in a bank and they're just, they're tokenizing the thing out. Like, why can't we do this? Why can't we, you know, do the same that these companies are doing like, you know, PayPal today, uh, maybe cash app or square tomorrow, who knows? Um, it seems that the, the private institutions really have a leg up here in being able to move quick and move fast and try to take as much market share as possible. And even if, even if the banks are allowed in, two, three, four years to enter the stablecoin space, there just won't be room for them. Like where, where will they be able to make their mark? Well, I think one thing that's often misunderstood is tokenizing a bank deposit is not the same as the current model of stablecoins with mm -hmm. say the NYDFS. It actually ironically may be a little bit more similar to Tether. 
But I would say the model behind USDC now, the model behind USDP, the model behind the new PayPal stablecoin look a lot more like government money market funds. And those have existed for a while. We have trillions of dollars of them. I think the thing that is distressing to the banks is now the ability to have a thing where you are not a forced lender in risky fashion to people in the US financial system, and you can use it for payments, right? Because the previous system, if I wanna use a debit card, I also am like engaging in commercial real estate lending. Like people don't think of it that way, but when you give your money to a bank, that's what they do with it. They go lend that money out, right? And so now you kind of have the ability to not implicitly subsidize risky borrowers when you're using one of these things. It's a big structural change. So I would tell you banks in general, if this model continues to proliferate, and I wanna be clear, I think it should, are gonna face an existential question of what does our funding model look like? What is the real price of borrowing and how should we be structuring this? Because as we discovered in 2008, we've probably been way too biased to just making loans at any cost. And that may be because we're forcing all of the deposits into the system to be lent out in risky fashion, whether people want that or not. Because like take SVB, when that failed, if I'm a local grocery store that happened to be using SVB just for my checking accounts, so that I could collect payments from people buying food. I wasn't there being like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take a huge YOLO into VC because that's my business model. <laughs> no, they just wanted a bank account, right? And so this really is opening a new path. I think the structural implications are big. Yeah, saving money shouldn't be investing into like a leveraged long bond <laughs> fund, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, or, or maybe it should, but you should do that because you chose to do it, not right. because you were required to do it with no other options. <laughs> uh, and I know, I know you, uh, you've got to head out here just in one minute, but uh, what do you think like the, the market share for PayPal is in, in like one year? Like how much of an inroad can they make on all of the other stable coins out there? USDP, Circle, uh, Tether? Um, can they can really compete with the existing incumbents? I would say with all things financial innovation, I think it goes slower than people think. So I always tell everybody pump the brakes. And that's not a negative statement about PayPal. That's a statement of how long it will now take everybody else to start building things to use PYUSD, mm -hmm. right? You've got to think, okay, they've launched this, but that's only step one of the journey. Now people need to start composing it, building the other end of ramps, adding it into platforms. None of these things happen overnight. When you're dealing with regulated companies, you know the timeframes I said earlier. So I would say you're at the very top of the hill and the snowball is just starting to roll. So in a year, like honestly, I could make a market anywhere from a couple hundred million to low billions, but like five years from now, this could be 500 billion. And the question wow. becomes distribution and integration. Wow, that's huge. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on, Austin. Uh, you're a great guest, and uh, we loved having you today. Thank you for sharing your insights about uh, PayPal and their newly announced dollar, and uh, we welcome you back anytime. All right. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Take care, Thanks. everyone. Thanks a lot, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, so we have a bunch of other news that we want to get to. Uh, we'll also talk about dollar deposits as well, too. So uh, Maker announced or essentially like launched their new EDSR. And uh, it's offering 8% at the, t at the current utilization rate. Uh, it looks pretty cool, actually. Yeah, thank you, Austin, actually, co for coming on. Um, so, Gary, or DeFi Advisor, DeFi Chief, what do, you, what do you think about this newly launched EDSR by Maker? Mm, 
Actually, I think uh, it depends on how how it plays out because so far they kind of uh, use the multiply effect to to leverage it a bit. Like not all the die that is circulated could uh, earn the yield. So basically, for uh, because die is uh, backed by uh, is fully backed. So basically, uh, some uh, some die that is circulating, they have a kind of monetary premium to do other stuff, and they kind of leverage this kind of stuff to uh, allow those idle die to be stacked to earn the yield. So basically, in that sense, uh, uh, for the assets backing die, they are earning the yield, but only some of the die are taking the yield uh, from the overall base. So that means uh, for uh, like a 5% uh, treasury yield, they can kind of make it a little bit bigger, like the dual token model of the Fresh Eve, I think. So in that sense, they are kind of um, kind of generating this kind of yield. But um, my thought for that would be, uh, it's actually like increasing the interest rate in uh, crypto market. So... Uh, for any new projects or for the existing uh, liquidity pools, uh, it's less attractive for people to provide liquidity. So in right. that sense, they're kind of draining out the liquidity of uh, other liquidity pools because of a higher opportunity cost in that sense. So um, yeah, they're increasing the cost of capital of the whole uh, crypto space. Um, for people who think uh, this is kind of risky rate and they can they can simply uh, earn it safely, I think um, it's good. But uh, actually, I'm I'm the one that that is quite opposing the idea of uh, having a high yield on the existing uh, stable coin. I think uh, in that sense, it will because a lot of people may may, may just stick to the die and then. And then that's it. Instead of doing it for other purposes, so that means a lot of a lot of the uh, circulating capital in the space will be uh, out there, stacked, doing nothing. So yeah. yeah. So it's it's interesting about this this maker uh, thing. Like you you said that you know it's a little bit like what uh, uh, I mean. They're they're essentially like using their outsized profits to be able to fund this this pool and as the pool grows in size the rate will go down and it'll converge on 3.3 but i like that i like that point that you made that this is going to put pressure on the rest of DeFi. where if you have eth and it's not making five percent there's no real reason to lend it out or put it into any money markets or really to invest it at all because you could just put it into a uh, e-staking like an lsd now with maker raising the rates to i mean they're like eight percent today but they'll probably compress down to like you know three to three to five depending on how much uh, capitalization comes in uh, that's also going to put pressure on other lending markets uh, across the entire ecosystem because if you aren't earning those those rates like why provide liquidity why add your funds to a, a lending market where there's no demand when you could just move it here to maker and and get that five percent rate yeah. I think this is the this is the this is the kind of like uh, 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 channeling the 
uh, increasing treasure yield to crypto. Yeah. And so, and go ahead, Garrett. I expect what we see from here is like this level of competition, just like Austin was talking about in the like yields flowing to like payment uh, stable coins. Like we're going to see like more and more protocols building a top die savings rate if it is the best and even like flexing a top of it. So like I'm excited because it's like giving a use case for people to bring money into DeFi again. Yeah, well, I, I do want to bring up one thing that was interesting about this. This might be the first time I've seen this actually be put in place, but uh, Chris Black reported that uh, he's disgusted with MakerDAO's Spark protocol. It's one thing to block US residents. It's a whole other thing to block anyone in the entire world who's using a VPN for privacy. So anybody that's using a VPN is no longer able to access Spark. And I believe they're probably tracking wallets as well too with, uh, with TRM Labs. So if you are a person who's in a OFAC sanctioned jurisdiction or a U.S. resident, then uh, you're going to be denied and a VPN won't even save you. And, uh, you know, D uh, DeFi Advisor, don't we have uh, Sir Black coming on this week? I believe we do. Yeah, I actually so. think we do, but I didn't see. Uh, I don't know exactly on uh, which day, but uh, it's actually going to be interesting. I know that uh, Chris has uh, a lot of these, uh, like, very uh, pretty. I can say pretty extreme takes on a lot of the industry, with a lot of criticisms on uh, the bottlenecks of uh, centralization uh, with the interesting. Uh, I'm not sure he characterizes the takes as extreme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but. No, it's interesting because like I have to same thing with like chat GPT prohibits people from using VPNs. And I just think that's ugly. Like I like using a VPN, like not for any reason, just because like it's like useful for shielding transactions and like uh, like basic web browsing. So it kind of sucks when people block it. Yeah. And it also shows like uh, the level of uh, like uh, how decentralized are we really? We, uh, as long as all this stuff is uh, going on. And I think it's going to be a long process because, uh, like you say, even if you use VPN, they're going to be able to mark you and then, like, uh, in a way, punish you for using a VPN. Uh, this, is a, this, is an, this is another uh, issue that our industry should be able to uh, solve, but I think it's a process of uh, years, like creating enough uh, decentralized uh, front-ends and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. that can really like assist us uh, to like to make sure that uh, people can actually get access to uh, every service. So I don't know if you guys have been watching Twitter over the weekend, but Twitter is actually losing their collective minds over this quote unquote tether DPEG. <laughs> uh, there's been massive outflows of USD, USDC over the past few days and uh, huge increases of the Tether market cap. So uh, USDC has lost about uh, $15 billion worth of its market cap since February. And Tether has gained a similar amount. And over the weekend, there was a lot of hand-wringing actually about the curve pools, uh, the Uniswap USDC <clears throat> USDT pool, which apparently was one tick away from being fully switched over. Uh, and then also the, the curve pool. So Garrett, what's happening over a curve with the USDT, USDC situation? Uh, so last I looked, it was at a uh, meme worthy 69% tether. Uh, <laughs> don't exactly ever know the cause or the source of all these things. 
I do just know that there is the uh, FIDI indicator, which suggests, uh, I believe this means like a market dump is coming. Ah, interesting. Wait, can you talk about that again? So the FIDI indicator is basically like what happens with, uh, usually it's like whenever like the pool gets a glut of USDT into it, it presages like a giant market dump. I guess oh, really? the theory being that like, um, like you know, when times are good and like you expect things are going to go up, then you want your tether being like the, like, the currency that's usually used to like send to exchanges and buy stuff like tends to flow like onto like, you know, into the system when people for sage dump, they like try and like look for some safe place to park it. That's three pool. So are, are you sure it's okay? Maybe I have it reversed. Bit. Let me, uh, let me get the, oh, no, 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 that makes sense. That makes sense. But I just want to check the curve pool again, because I'm seeing more reports that it's starting to get even more imbalanced than, just 69 percent meme worthy right meme worthy seems fine but uh further than that i'd be a little well i mean like at what point at what point does it get uh become an issue right yeah so here's the um dashboard unfortunately dune uh, a lot of dune dashboards have been breaking but thankfully the fidi indicator one is still uh still holding strong here uh, so the description is the USDT balance of three pool has historically been inversely correlated with the ETH BTC price at times of peak market distress. As USDT flows out of three pool to chase returns in volatile assets, three pool USDT drops and ETH BTC price rises. Conversely, as USDT flows into three pool to earn a low stable yield, three pool USDT rises and ETH BTC price drops. So not financial advice, but it's proven pretty good in the past. Oh, wow. Look at that. So every time the USDT balances spike. BTC just drops like rock. Wow. And this is uh, courtesy Dan Smith, friend of the show. We should have him back on to talk more. And Fiddy, if we can. That's Definitely. interesting. Uh, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Actually, uh, Ankles is some macro indicators that I'm looking at. And and um, I think if different indicators kind of converge and point to the same direction, it really needs some kind of uh, uh, attention because uh, what I'm looking at is the is the um, uh, the yield curve inversion, like the uh, ten year, two year uh, yield curve inversion. Like, uh, is this the most uh, inverted state in the past uh, thirty or forty years? Something. So. Yeah, this yeah. is getting quite what? high. This is getting quite high for the USDT balance. So we're definitely going to keep an eye on it. It looks like it looks like it can go up a long time, but it's only when it starts to revert that it starts to become an issue. Yeah, things things begin to dump, or maybe it does a little bit before. But prices have been locked and not going anywhere for several weeks now. Uh, we also had another question of: uh, Is the Frax ETH, ETH pool fine. It seems imbalanced as well, too. And got a tweet for that. So uh, ASXN underscore R said, seeing a few people ask why the Frax ETH, ETH pool is unbalanced with 80% Frax ETH in the curve finance pool. So uh, like after the the hack, the, the team removed all the liquidity, they put it back, and it's just uh, started to trend more towards uh, being 80-20 in the pool. And what that essentially is, is people are selling out of Frax ETH back into ETH. It will imbalance the pool more and more and more. And then at some point, the um, the, the AMO will come in and it will take that Frax ETH out of the pool because uh, Frax owns pretty much all the liquidity in that pool. And it'll just burn that Frax ETH. 
and uh, the re the the pool will be balanced again, probably back towards like sixty forty or like seventy thirty. Um, and it's kept in balance with a a parameter of twelve hundred, uh, which allows it to like get quite imbalanced like this without pushing the the price either way. Uh, so I would just I would just assume that the uh, the frac team or the AMO will come in and burn some frac seeth here in the next few days, and the imbalance will go. Uh, okay, let's see what else we got. Uh, we have the I don't I don't know if we talked about this last week, but I definitely want to talk to the Dopio team. So this is a shared sequencer. So it's finally out of private testnet. It's now into public testnet. Uh, this is essentially Polygon's uh, like stab at trying to decentralize the sequencer, which is harder than people think. And, uh, and now it's out there. So it's, it's worth going and testing and seeing how it works and uh, potentially spinning up a sequencer yourself. Um, Did we have any talks with the, the Espresso? Uh, this is something by the Espresso system uh, team. Who's uh, who's? Uh, yeah, I've 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 asked I've asked Jack and a few other people. I, I think I don't know if they're doing like interviews yet about it. So, um, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure they'll come on at some point. Oh, also, Garrett, the uh, the deadline passed, didn't it? For the, can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, thankfully, I'm not in any of the uh, like private chats about it, so I can speak uh, freely because I'm just an idiot in the street, like opining <laughs> on what I'm seeing on chain. So, um, uh, officially, the easiest way to make two million dollars is if you have any information that will lead to the conviction of the final curve hacker at large. Uh, if you can, if you can get that information to the curve team, uh, they're paying generously for that. So, of uh, basically, for context, there was basically four hacks that happened. Um, four different pools, and most of the funds have actually been returned. So uh, JPEGged, Alchemix, uh, those had successful resolutions with the hacker. Uh, there was the issue with um, MSETH, which was like basically intercepted by White Hats, and half of the Curve ETH hack. But there's still like one like uh, final portion of this where there's been no contact with the hacker at all. Uh, so we have no idea. Uh, there's an ultimatum that if they return the funds by the deadline this past weekend, then the, of course, like the money would, um, like they get to keep a 10%. There would be no questions asked, no like law enforcement pursuing them. Now it's an open season. Now they have a $2 million bounty on their head. And moreover, it's not really clear what their exit strategy is uh, because uh, about half the funds are in curve and there's not a ton of on-chain curve liquidity. Uh, funds have been flowing into the Tri-Curve, uh, which is a new the new source of on-chain liquidity on Curve for the Curve token. Um, but even then, it's only like 7 million total. Uh, so even though it's the primary source of liquidity on-chain, if you tried to move all the Curve that they stole through it, they'd only end up with about $2 million. So it's like not really clear uh, if they cashed it into Binance or any of the major exchanges one would expect that uh, they would like not be able to move it. So uh, they might just be playing a waiting game. We'll see. Um, and also, notably, this wallet was funded by Binance. Um, so presumably, like one of the first things that the uh, like law enforcement or anyone like trying to track this person down is going to do is going to like go knock on Binance's door and uh, ask who like funded this. So that's all the news I've seen. I'm afraid. Well, 
hopefully they're able to recover those funds. It's just a little strange that the tokens never moved, right? Did they even try to sell the CRV for ETH? It, there wouldn't be a place to because there's mm. not enough on-chain liquidity. So literally, if you um, if you swapped the the curve worth like seven million dollars, um, you would only get like a few million back. So, and what does that mean? I mean for the... Go ahead, uh, advisor. I mean, uh, Garrett, isn't it isn't uh, the hacker uh, currently in a situation in which he's better off doing it? Like maybe he can just uh, okay take uh, fifty cents on the dollar, but uh, at least he's going to come out with uh, something in a way. But or uh, like, is yeah, he really so stuck? Yeah, they get a ten percent bounty, and they would have like they'd be it'd be considered a white hat hack, so they wouldn't have to live the rest of their life in fear that they got exposed. So I would expect they're better off. Um, but you know, the counterpoint is if it was Lazarus Group, if it was like uh, you know maybe like some like some place where there's like not the strong arm of the U.S. law that could reach into it, like maybe Russia or something, maybe then they're better off there. Um, but yeah. You know, it's still the two million bounty is a two million bounty on their head, so I, I understand why they don't just uh, take it. Somebody will. I, I mean, these all these things always come around, even if it takes years. I mean, look at look at Rosal Khan and uh, her boyfriend who are finally caught after what like six years, seven years after uh, hacking Binance. Um, yeah, so if, I mean, I feel like if you're a curve ETH LP, you just have to be patient. But I think it's gonna you'll get some resolution at some point. Yeah. And this, it seems like this is kind of a win, like kind of win for Michael. Like he's able to sell an ungodly amount of CRV at prices that would probably be difficult to achieve. Uh, like if he was just market dumping it. Right. And Michael uh, always wins in the end. Like if you haven't <laughs> followed the story, that is true. Uh, and I just wanted to look at uh, the OTC dashboard and just get an update on this. Uh, so Michael has OTC'd 143 million CRV and he's raised $57 million. So crisis averted, everything's back to normal and uh, we're all back on track. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if this is the one that has the full winter mute information, but um, there's a little bit of a kerfuffle because winter mute, um, was like one of the larger purchasers, right? Um, and then they immediately moved half of it to Binance. Mm -hmm. So people were speculating that they're going to be dumping. Um, now we don't know the exact like details of it, but Mitch did publish. Um, Mitch did publish an interesting leaked uh, chat uh, with uh, I think it was Ru Kong, um, where he basically acknowledged that like he like struck a different deal with Wintermute. Um, but he did it because they're really good arbitrators and he really wanted their arbitrating skills for the purposes of uh, upcoming potential Forex trades, uh, which was kind of you know hinting that, uh, let me see if I can get this, uh, this up since people are asking. Yeah, I saw Sort of hinting that, yeah, sort of yeah. hinting that there's big stuff coming. Here we go, I got it here. Yeah, the Forex would be huge. Actually, there was a, uh, can, can you make it a little bit bigger? Is this the one about the um, the Australian dollar and the Singapore dollar being moved from uh, Sepolia? Is it Sepolia? That's no, uh, no that's CCIP uh, chain links. Oh, really? Oh, that's separate. It would all go into curve, anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. it's it's 
tough to know exactly what this means. I mean, like there have been speculation that like they do this using curve algorithm and then they send it somewhere else to like, you know, like a quorum private permission blockchain. Um, but whatever it is, like the the point seems to be that like Mitch is kind of like working very closely um, with like these teams as they try and spin this up is what it looks like to me. Which... I did some simulations with some interbank data and holy F arb is the key for curve pools working arb with real low fee forex markets on-chain venues and crypto sexes are absolute shite for that currently i have some alternative ideas but arb dex tradfi is the proper strongest way michael always gonna win the man um, has earned his mansion in my <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well said. And you know, I, I, I have to admit, like, I think one of the most amazing things about the uh, curve is like, think about it. Uh, a little over a week ago, uh, there was actually protocol hacks. And look how bullish stuff feels now for curve. Of course, not financial advice and all that, but price is already back on. CRV USD is uh, like uh, kept, kept its peg throughout the whole thing. Like it, uh, a lot of people, uh, like a lot of entities bought CRV, like pretty much immediately. It didn't really mm -hmm. drop as much. Nothing was uh, like uh, no big liquidations really occurred. Like uh, I think uh, this whole incident uh, in retrospect really proved the uh, curve's resiliency. Yeah. So DeFi Cheetah, what the heck is happening with Huobi? There's been some news over the weekend that several executives were arrested their reserves are down 30%. Everybody's saying they're either uh, insolvent or about to be like shut down. Uh, is there anything to these rumors? Um, I think the, the arrest is uh, quite aligned with what happened to the multi-chain. <laughs> yeah, the multi-chain is, 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 is because of the uh, founder being arrested in mainland China and uh, I, I guess something similar happened, but I think it really has not much to do with uh, Hobby's research because I, I, I think they, they won't be the guys holding the key yeah, or stuff. So I think um, I, I think there are some other things going on, but it's just happening concurrently. Yeah, so there was uh, uh, like supposedly three executives at Kobe were detained by Chinese police for investigation. Uh, net outflows from the exchange were $73 million in the past week, and their stablecoin balances are down 33% over the time. And there's been a lot of fear posting by a lot of people. You know, it's one of those things where like even if even if the exchange it's there's some strange prisoners dilemma with these exchange stuff right if there is insolvency questions from the exchange even if there's like a one percent risk like why do you keep your funds on the exchange we learned this with ftx where FTX <laughs> said everything was great that's the ptsd stage <laughs> yeah exactly uh you know if if you just move your funds off chain for or like out, sorry, out of a centralized exchange for what, two weeks, three weeks until everything blows over, you get word that everything's great and then you move it back in. Okay, so you lose maybe like one or 2% from whatever strategy that you're running. But 
you know, is it worth it to potentially lose it all if you have it on the exchange? And that's the strange prisoner's dilemma. Um, yeah, I think that's that's not really having a good optionality. If yeah. you if you take the tail risk by if you uh, by uh, putting the assets in the in the custody, you you benefit from nothing except the convenience of not taking that out and put and find another place to put it. But you are taking a tail risk of bearing or, or, or you if you uh, uh, trouble yourself to pull out the asset, you, you're avoiding a tail risk. So I think it's, 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 it's worth it. So let's uh, we got one more story. Let's pour one out for Indy for ETH. Randomly burns twenty five hundred ETH, four point five million dollars. Nobody knows why, but the guy what? has been buying a lot of really strange ENSs, like inditall.eth, nothingness one two three, innow.eth. Like, if you know this guy, get him some help because obviously he's <laughs> having some issues. No, but really, like you know, like he's he's having some real serious mental problems and. Uh, yeah, who help. knows what he's planning, man? Who knows what is what is uh, thinking about? Well, if anyone maybe... knows, guys, uh, I will send I will send him a new burn address. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot send of you are. Actually, if you check out if you check out his address, uh, there a lot of people were sending like messages to him after the <laughs> fact. Uh, it's one of those things where you know you you do that thing you become spotlighted and then all the like all the different like scammers start sending you all the tokens everybody's making uh like tokens with your name um and yeah it's it's really a sad situation is there any information or any like uh, kind of uh, idea on why he's doing it? no 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 that's something weird man that's really yeah. weird so it's not about money it's about sending a message apparently yeah yeah uh, <laughs> so like get some help what's the message though like what's the message <laughs> i'm redacted <laughs> he needs help the message is <laughs> yeah get some help get some help all right well that's going to wrap it up for today thank you austin for coming on the show talking about paypal also my other hosts here DeFi Cheetah, DeFi Advisor, Garrett, great to see you guys today. You too. And, uh, great start for the week. Great start for the great week. Job. Great nice job to get the Austin on. Yeah. And we'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow we have Nick Westlake from Offchain Labs who's going to come talk and potentially Chris Black, I think. So we'll see. We'll talk tomorrow. All right. See you tomorrow. Goodbye, folks. Bye-bye.